I'm Steve Denise and welcome to The Bookstash, a podcast where I chat with fantasy author Ash Oldfield about reading, writing and everything in between. All right, Ash, usually it's been what are you reading that I'm asking you, but this time it's what are you reading and also watching? You only know that because I've been making you watch with me. (laughs) (laughs) So I uh, recently finished reading Wolf Hall and then had to go out and buy the DVD of that, the miniseries, I think it was BBC, it could be wrong, uh, miniseries of Wolf Hall. And I've been making you watch that with me. It's pretty good. So Wolf Hall is the Henry VIII story, but told from the perspective yeah, of Yes, so it's set in Thomas Tudor, Thomas. England, mm. and you already know this. That's not fair. You don't normally know what it is that I'm <laughs> reading. So it is, um, it's the same old story of Henry VIII wants to get rid of his wife um, so that he can marry Anne Boleyn, mm-hmm. and um, lots of people lose their heads for this to happen. And usually it's told from the perspective of Henry VIII or Anne Boleyn or even um, Thomas Wolsey, Cardinal Wolsey. But Mm. this one is told from the perspective of Thomas Cromwell, who is always, almost always depicted as a real villain of Tudor times. Uh, He was ruthlessly ambitious. He was called the dog by a lot of people because he was the son of a blacksmith, so a commoner who climbed his way up to become the second most powerful man in England at the time. So really, really, like his life must have just been insane. I don't know how he managed it. Uh, Now, Wolf Hall won the Man Booker Prize, which is a hugely prestigious prize in the United Kingdom. Pretty Mm -hmm. much if you win this prize, you are guaranteed success. So it's such a um, such a popular prize and people will just buy your book. And it actually, the second book in the series also won the Man Booker Prize, which is almost unheard of. So it came to me w- with a lot of expectation. So it was either going to be I was going to hate it or I was going to really love it. So as you know, I did really love it um, because I've made you watch the show now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it is, uh, it's, I'm sort of 50-50 about this one because I really loved it. I really, really got a lot out of this book and I felt like it was such a fresh perspective on history that I know really well. Yeah. But it was a tough read. It was, it felt like, it felt like work. And I loved it because I was learning. But I think if you're wanting to curl up on the couch for a pleasurable, relaxing read, this isn't it. So what made the book so hard to get into, I guess? Uh, The language. Hilary Mantel has a very unique writing style. You'll be reading this quite lengthy sentence or paragraph and there's no quotation marks or anything, but you get to the end of it and you realize, and she'll have, he said, and you realize, oh, Cromwell was saying this out loud the whole time and you didn't realize. Um, <laughs> right, yeah, that makes it hard. And he just, she just uses he instead of Cromwell. So it takes you a while to realize almost every time she says he, she's talking about Cromwell. Mm. So you'll be reading these scenes and you have to go back and reread them and reread them and reread them to realize who is who in the in the conversation. So I did struggle with that. There was a handy little um, cast, like a list at the beginning of all the different characters because everybody's called like Thomas. Yeah. There's like five Thomases or they're called um, Anne or Catherine so, or Richard. That's a common name. People weren't so great with their unique names in the Tudor times. No. Well, they're all named after the king. So whatever king yeah. was, you know, at that time. So there's lots of Richards because of Richard III, mm. obviously. Um 
Mary, Margaret, Catherine. So, because, you know, uh, Henry VIII's sisters were Margaret and Mary, so there mm-hmm. were lots of Margarets and Marys and Elizabeths because that was Henry VIII's mother. Those were very common names at the time. So, yeah, as you can see, there's a list here of where they live, who their alliances are with and everything like that. So that was really handy, which I said to you when we watched the TV show, you may struggle without that yeah. because there are so many similar characters. So when was the book released? Uh, ten, maybe 10 years ago. Okay. So it's not that old. Yeah. Um, but she's got writing a third book and it's not out yet and it hasn't, like it keeps being pushed back for when it's going to be published. 2009. Yeah, so nine okay, years ago. yeah, so. So quite longer. a while ago. Um, I forgot what I wanted to say about this book now. There's so much that I could, could really say about this. Uh, for me, I was going to uh, hate it if it wasn't accurate. Yeah. I love historical fiction. There was a time sort of in my life, all I would read was historical fiction. So Jean Plady was a big favourite author of mine. But if a historical fiction book is more fiction than historical, I won't read it. I hate it. So there are certain authors I will not touch with a barge pole because they're just, <laughs> they just make it up. Whereas Hilary Mantel, she said in an interview that she strove for accuracy. So I thought, okay, I'll give her a go. So she's done her homework. Yeah, she she has done her research. A lot of people have criticised her and said that she hasn't mm-hmm. and that she's um, not being accurate, but I think she's just telling the same story in a different way. Mm. Everything that I thought, you know, I was reading, I thought, wait, no, that can't have happened or that character can't have done that at that time, you know, that sort of thing. Every time I've Googled it, looked it up, no, that actually did happen. Mm. So it was very accurate, but she's just looking at it from through Cromwell's eyes. And even the villain is the hero in his own story. So, yeah, she definitely takes a very sympathetic view of a character that's been vilified throughout history. Yeah, which is so interesting to see a different perspective with essentially the same facts, just represented in a slightly different way. Can make all the difference to the story. Well, you were saying that because I made you watch The Tudors, which was uh, Jonathan Mm. Reese, Jonathan Reese Myers. Uh, years ago, Natalie Dormer, I made you watch that years ago and you were saying it didn't feel like the same guy, but everything else, everything that happened was the same. And you said the same with Wolsey when Wolsey, um, he, you know, sort of lost all his power and eventually was arrested. You said that in the Tudors, you're like, eh, he kind of had that coming. Whereas in this one, you felt, you said you felt sorry for him. It was, even though you could see how he had it coming to him, mm-hmm. you felt more sympathetic. Well, it's interesting that the, um, Literally the exact same words can be said from different characters, but presented in a different context. The whole meaning of what they're saying takes a di- or takes on a new meaning when presented in that way. So something that maybe sounds like arrogance comes across mm. as more sympathetic and things like it's, that. It's the tone, isn't it? Mm. And that's not in the written word and in the um, the way it was reported throughout history as well. Because you and I were talking about Sir Thomas More, who he's been held up throughout history. He was a martyr and he has been sainted by the Catholic Church. So he's been held up throughout history as being this amazing guy. And then I told you that actually several several different people at the time and afterwards agree that he tortured people. Yeah. And whereas Cromwell, who has been considered a villain, I couldn't find anything that said that he had tortured. And, in fact, when I Googled Thomas Cromwell torture, it always came up with Thomas More and the torture <laughs> he did. So whereas Thomas More, because he tried to bring England back to the Catholicism, he was held up as being this amazing guy. Uh, when actually his methods weren't that great. 
Yeah, I think we kind of concluded that in reality, like no one's really a villain or a hero. Usually people are somewhere in between a mix of both things. So I reckon probably both interpretations are Either of them were fantastic people. I think if you're that close to the king, you can't be. I think Mm. there has to be a certain amount of ruthlessness in you to to have that kind of power and retain it Mm. Um, and to do what they did do the king's bidding, and he he wasn't always reasonable in his requests. You you couldn't have had too much of a strong moral compass. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, so what are the lessons do you think we can learn from the well, book, Cash? I, the thing that I took from this book was about the – there's a couple of points I wanted to talk about. The first was the accuracy and how do you get it to be that accurate. So I looked up because as Hilary Mantel said, if it's not accurate, what's the point in doing it? Uh, if it's, She said the first thing is research, research, research. If you don't like research, historical fiction's not for you. <laughs> so that's definitely a good point if research is not something you enjoy. I happen to love research. That's why I, I could spend hours and hours and hours and hours researching and never writing a word. So maybe I should write a historical novel in the future. Um, But she also said that you need to, it's not actually just about reading texts. It's about putting yourself in the era as much as possible. So reading poetry, music, food, gardening, the morals of the time, and then take a stand back and look at the bigger picture because your there's always a huge amount of interpretation that you have to make from the information. So mm. the most you are living in that world, the more accurate your interpretation is going to be. So yet yeah, living in that world, be, having being in that headspace, so not looking at it from the morals of today but the morals of those times. So see the big picture, borrow down in the details, put yourself in the era as much as you can. Um, the other thing that she said is that you have to be – First of all, you can never be 100% accurate, but you do have to be quite serious about it. And you have to know that history is not tidy. History is messy. And so you have to, so it takes a really awkward shape when you're building your story from the history. So you have to make your fiction flexible Mm. to fit in around the history. So usually... um, I make my facts flexible to fit in around my story so that my story flows nice and I'd have to do it the opposite way. Yeah, there's like set things that have to happen in a yes. historical and, piece. and when yeah. they happened and how they happened. Yeah. You can't get past the fact that, like I said, Thomas More was um, accused by quite a few different people of torture. You can't get past that. You you can't just forget that didn't happen. You have to have your fiction flexible so maybe there is a dark side to his character. You you, you can't, yeah. Anyway, I'm getting too passionate. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. So that was uh, Abby. The other thing is because this is historical fiction and it is set in a time when humans, English-speaking humans spoke very different to how they do today. So the way she made the language readable but also so that you had the flavour of the era is she said that you don't imitate slavishly how they would speak. So she never writes, you know, with the E's at the end, you know, ye olde. She just – what she said she did when she wrote Wolf Hall was that she identified – the intention and the motivation behind what people said and then um, 
used idioms to suggest the era rather than imitate slavishly. Mm-hmm. Um, she also said that this is a quote from Hilary Mantel, all you do as a novelist is apply yourself to imagining what it is like to be someone else. So I suppose if she's imagining what is it like to be Anne Boleyn, then how would Anne Boleyn have said that? How would she have sounded? Uh, and actually I really, really like this portrayal of Anne Boleyn because she absolutely terrifies me. <laughs> and I think that's what she would have. If I was made to be one of her maid of honours or whatever, I would have been terrified to be near her. I would not have liked that job. So, so yeah, don't imitate slavishly when it's the language pick things that will get the general feel. And I said this when we talked about um, The Cruel Prince by Holly Black, where she set the world up by mentioning characters with green skin. And I said that they were eating, you know, nectar and nuts and things like that. Uh, And that's the same sort of vibe you got here when Mm. they're talking about the fabrics of the clothing or um, the way they've done their hair or their makeup. It's very of that era. So, yeah. Cool. Well, um, if you're finished talking about the book, maybe we should also talk just a little bit briefly about the casting in the miniseries. Oh, because <laughs> I wasn't going to watch it. And then when I saw who was cast and, oh, it was so fantastic. I said to you, oh, they're all my people. They're all the people. I said, I know all of these, almost all of these people. So, ah, oh, I don't know their names, though. <laughs> we can, we can do, we can isn't that funnier? So um, you've cleverly edited that so the listeners don't need to know that I'm quickly pulled out my phone and looked up the cast list. Uh, so the, the actor who plays Thomas Cromwell um, is Mark Rylance. Uh, so I know him. I've watched him in the BFG. Mm. Uh, you watch that with me. Uh, so he's uh, he kind of comes across as quite a gentle sort of character, doesn't he? Which is yeah. where the BFG came. You know. He's an interesting actor. He's he's rather thoughtful in his delivery of lines, mm. um, and he yeah he brings a lot of like a different energy to a character I've seen portrayed really differently in the past. Especially with uh, the character of Thomas Cromwell, because he is very intelligent, and you definitely get that sense with Mark Rylance that he's sort of his eyes kind of do this thing, and you can see he's like off thinking and plotting mm. and, and that sort of thing. Um, I didn't really love the way he delivered some of his lines, but at the same time, it. That made me really like the character more, so maybe that was intentional. And I, when I watched the do- – um, there were some other additional scenes you haven't watched yet um, and they showed that uh, he actually – every take he did it differently and they said it was like the editor's worst nightmare because he did it all brilliantly every take but it was so different every take. So you just had to decide which version you wanted of a really well-acted um, take. So that was uh, Thomas Cromwell. The other person I think is so perfectly casted was Henry VIII. Oh, yes. Um, so that was Damien Lewis. I know Damien Lewis from the Foresight Saga, um, so I don't know if you've seen him in anything. Um, so, But he is just Henry VIII, that stance that he does with his, you know, his belly thrust out and his hands on his hips. Um that was just fantastic. He was in Homeland and yeah. um, Band of Brothers. I haven't seen those, but I think that's sort of what he's definitely known that, for. That almost boyish charm that I think a young Henry VIII has is just, just well portrayed. That smile he gets, <laughs> um, and that one where he was that line where he was um, trying to talk himself out of doing something, and he's trying to get the others to agree with him, and he sort of, oh, you know, maybe I've had a spell cast on me. Women do such things, you know, and just that <laughs> smile on his face of like, yes, I've thought of a way out of this um it's fantastic he's he's kind of terrifying as well because 
He is so friendly and he wants to be liked. He wants to be generous. But there's that side to him that if he loses his temper, mm. your head is gone. The actor I really liked was uh, Claire Foy in her portrayal of Anne Boleyn. Um, mm. We've obviously obviously seen her recently in uh, Netflix, uh, The Crown, playing Queen Elizabeth. The second, the most recent yes. Elizabeth. Very good portrayal well, as well. I've loved Claire Foy. I watched her first in Little Dorrit, which is Charles Dickens' adaptation where she plays this mousy creature who does what she's told and she, you know, people don't notice her and sort of use her for her goodness and she and then the next thing I saw, and she played that perfectly. And then mm. the next thing I saw her as was in, um, oh, it was Terry Pratchett's adaptation of Going Postal. Going Postal and yeah. she played this almost femme fatale, vixen <laughs> kind of kind of character. Um, and then it's a kind of like badass. And then I saw her in um, uh, Upstairs, Downstairs, mm. where she plays this posh, wealthy ruthless person where you hate her but you, you love to hate her and you so when misfortunes befall her you don't really mind so I've seen her in so many different roles and she really is a chameleon she's just so perfect in every single character and every character is so different I don't know how she does it yeah, she's got a great range wasn't yeah. she terrifying as Anne Boleyn oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's a it good was betrayal. so good it's, yeah it was really good actually and then the one that I found the funniest was the Duke of Norfolk, which is Anne Boleyn's <laughs> uncle. And um, he's played by Bernard Hill, which uh, he was um, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Lord of the Rings. Uh, yeah, the king. The king, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was so funny. So he was that nice light relief. And it also had – it was really cute. It had um, – do you know the Spider-Man actor – Tom Holland, mm. him when he was, he must have been like 14, 15 as Cromwell's son. And I thought he was just a real little cutie running around and trying to be all serious. That's and great. Which was perfect because that's exactly what the character is supposed to be. Mm. Everyone always talks about how sweet and gentle Gregory is yeah. um, and just how, how he's not very smart, but he's just a really lovely boy. So you can be proud of him. So I thought, I don't know. I just thought it was really a really cleverly cast. It also had Thomas Brody Sangster, who was I. He was in Love Actually, the little boy. Oh, right. And then more recently, he was in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So just oh, such a cast. cast. It's um, yeah, definitely worth checking out. It's um, Ash picked it up on DVD, all old school. Um, oh, Thomas More was played by Anton Lesser. He was from Game of Thrones as well. He played that, um, like almost a, that evil priest guy that keeps raising people from the sparrow. The dead, no, the not one, the, the sparrow. One, yeah, the other one. Yeah. Um, yes. Oh, and yeah, you're thinking of the guy who played Cardinal Wolsey, Cardinal Wolsey. Jonathan Price, yeah, who yeah. he played the High Sparrow That's in someone. Game of Thrones. What are these? What are these? Uh, uh, it's just actors in both things. <laughs> oh, it was it was really good. I mean, it is a little bit slow. Uh, it's not. Like if you're after something that's quite bloodthirsty, like you see all these Game of Thrones actors, it's not bloodthirsty like if Game of want, Thrones at all. If you want the more Game of Thrones style Henry VIII, definitely the Tudors is that angle. Oh, but absolutely. I think yeah. this is a mo- lot more thoughtful, a lot less bloodthirsty. But, yep, definitely. But this is more, more focused on the politics, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, oh, got to, got to watch it. If uh, you like historical fiction, definitely. Wolf Hall. Check it out. Yep. It's really good. That's no, good. 
Um, all right, so we'll take a little shift here and we'll go into our topic for today. So, so this is um, going to be a long episode, tip. isn't it? It's probably going to be a pretty long one. <laughs> um, my writing tip today is for those who aren't really sure about how to structure a story set. You know, how do you begin in the first place? So I found these. It was actually this book I got. Um, it's a writer's handbook mm-hmm. um, by Once Upon a Time, which is a board game you and I have, or it's more of a card game where you get given these cards, uh, handed cards, and with state like words on them, and you have to create a story using those words and lead it down close statement card. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what Once Upon a Time has in their writer's handbook is um, some, they're called fairy tale functions. So these were put together by Vladimir Prop. Uh, and he noticed when through reading a lot of fairy tales that there were a bunch of different functions that repeated themselves again and again and again. So he identified 31 different functions uh, that always appear in fairy tales, not all of them, but they're all, you know, they always have them. So, for example, the first one is one of the members of a family absents himself from home. So someone leaves. So either the hero or a hero's family member leaves home. That's mm-hmm. the beginning. So there are, as I said, there are 31 of these and a fairy tale has at least five of these 31 and they're always in the same order. So this, these fairy tale functions are, you can find them anywhere on the internet. They're really famous. They're a really great way of making sure your story is following a logical progression based yep. on what stories have done in the past. Because to be honest, to break the rules, you have to know the rules really well. So he also found um, specific character types, which he called uh, dramatis personae. So there are certain character roles that, so for example, the hero, the victim, a seeker, and one character can have many roles. So the hero can also be the seeker. So, you know, um, King Arthur seeking the Holy Grail. That was what he was seeking, wasn't it? Um, So Excalibur. Ex- no, he he got Excalibur from the stone, oh. but he was seeking. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know my I don't know my Arthurian legend that way. Yeah, one. so Vladimir Prop's fairy tale functions um, are a really really great way if you're not sure how to function, uh, how to structure a story, and you want to practice. You can sort of write your own fairy tale using mm-hmm. these. So the ones that I liked that I wanted to sort of read out the second. Function is an interdiction is addressed to the hero, where basically the hero is warned not to do something. So don't go into that abandoned house or don't press that button. Um, sometimes it can be positive. So like make sure you're home before dark. Oh, yeah. And then the next one, so the third function is that interdiction is violated. So your hero is told don't do this thing and then the next step they do the thing that they're told not to. Yep. Um and so this is a really common place in which the villain is then introduced. So think about Snow White where she's told not to talk to a strange, not to answer the door for strangers or whatever, and then an old lady knocks on the door and offers her that apple. And so you're introduced to the villain who's the, the queen mm-hmm. giving her the apple. Which leading she, them down that path. Leading her down the path yeah. to eat the poisoned apple and all that sort yep, of thing. Yep. So the example in the book here is Bobby, the hero. He's told do not go into the abandoned house. He goes, goes into the abandoned house where he then meets a monster. Yep. So, yeah, it's just you're given this one function 
don't do something and then the next step in your story can be, well, the hero does that mm-hmm. that thing and then they meet the villain. So I just wanted to mention these. Maybe we can chuck up a link. There's, Like I said, there's heaps of these functions, like links online and everything like and how to use props, them. Props, fairy tale functions. Yeah, because they are really famous. So they're just mm-hmm. a really great way of structuring a story. So if you're wanting to write a short story, maybe you can do five of these functions. If you want a bit of a longer story, you know, 10 or so of these functions in your story. And because you know what order they're supposed to go in, it's a really good way of plotting out your story. And a good way to train, I guess, your sort of mind to work in sensible structures, I suppose. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this is true. this is a really good exercise. You're not going to come up with a brilliant publishable story, but you will come out of it with skills to then write a brilliant publishable story. Mm. So that's just what I wanted to mention. I wanted to make it fairly quick because without having the book in front of you, it's hard to, um, you know, get the, the get the sense of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Ash, uh, accountability time. So why don't you give everyone an update about where you're up to with your book? That's a pretty exciting point, I reckon. Um, do you mean because I have been on a break? Yes. Because I have finished the first draft of my next book? Yep, it's yes. very exciting. I'm so happy. I didn't expect it to happen um, because I did get so sick. I think we did record an episode where I was dying. Um, <laughs> since we recorded that, I did sit down and I wrote the last couple of chapters. Uh, it ended in a way I did not expect. I was very, very, I was like, oh, that really, does that happen? So that was really good. I knew it was going to go in this direction, but I didn't know what was quite going to happen. And there's a few plot twists and things that presented themselves to me, which I'm very excited about. So yeah, I'm really excited. I'm having my, I usually take two to four weeks holiday once I finish a draft, but so I can come back to it fresh. So at the moment I'm taking my two to four weeks holiday. Mm. Um, then I'm going to go back to actually I, I development stuff, some researching, some you know, where I've left some holes in the story in, in my researching. So I am back. I have been Researching, even though I said I was going to have a break, I have been doing some stuff as well. Nice, good. Oh, I'm so excited! Good. I had a <laughs> bottle of champagne. I, I don't. I didn't drink the whole bottle by myself. I think I gave you a glass. Yeah, I definitely saved you from the whole bottle. Yeah, and I. Yeah, I have been. I've been just resting and relaxing, catching up on my sleep. Yeah, it's yeah. been good. So there's still there's still many drafts to go of that book. Still. Oh yeah, I usually so write on, like ten drafts. Yeah. So. yeah. You just want me to type it up so you can read it. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward I'll to it. I'll get around to it. I will. I'm excited. <laughs> I, I really want you to read it. So I so, think it's good. Yeah, that's no, good. The best kind of accountability response. Yeah, I know. But then next week, next week you're going to ask me, what's your accountability? And I'm going to be like, well, <laughs> I, nothing. Cause I'm, you're rewriting. Yeah, but I don't think I'll have started. Filling writing. in the blanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So... Writing prompt for the listeners this time, Ash? What have you got for them? So I thought, because I did talk about Vladimir Props, fairy tale functions, and the game Once Upon a Time, which we have, Mm. uh, I grabbed some Once Upon a Time cards so that you can write a story using these. Because within the functions, there is a framework within the game Once Upon a Time where they give you a character, a thing, an event, a place, an aspect. Um, so for example, your character's sad or your character's excited or your character's happy and then an ending. So I randomly selected, I, I, I randomly pulled out of the pack some different, like different characters, different themes, and then 
Well, if I didn't like them, I put them back and picked another. <laughs> so it is random in, but I, I, you know, I let myself semi curated. Yeah, semi curated. So the character, and we can maybe take a photo of these and put these up. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But the character on Instagram, will. the character in your story is a beggar. Yep. The what did I say? The next thing is a thing. Is the an axe? So your thing is an axe. Your event is found. So there's a picture here of a girl lifting up a like a chest mm-hmm. and she's looking inside. So your event is something has been found. So a beggar, there's an axe, something has been found. Uh, the place is this uh, takes place at night. It is foolish. Mm-hmm. So something or someone is foolish and then you need to write the story with the ending which is how the kingdom got such an unusual name. Awesome. Yep. Cool. That one sounds exciting. So beggar, axe, something is found, foolish, takes place at night, and which is how the kingdom got such an unusual name. Awesome. Okay, guys. Well, that sounds like a fun one to get writing on. I reckon that's pretty cool. That game is awesome too, Once Upon a Time. Oh, We've- it's a lot of fun. Even just the two of us. Yeah. Um, it's-, it's great in a large group. But also just or with kids, if you've got yeah, children, really getting kids, kids to play this game, it's fantastic. And, yeah, really good for getting people thinking about how to write. If you, mm. you, if you know anyone who's interested in writing, it's a great present idea too. And, and it's not too expensive, expensive. No. no. No, no, it's good. So um, This this handbook doesn't come with it. I bought that separately though. Ah, yeah. I didn't even know. So I'll pop a link in the description in the show notes for that as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll, we'll chuck up a photo on Instagram of the cards and maybe Facebook as well. Yeah. So that, if that helps. Um, and I'll put them on the website. Yeah, because they've got the pictures on them as well. Yeah. So that'll help. So, okay, guys, um, I think that probably covers everything. Ash, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Oh, there's always missed? something else I want to talk about. <laughs> I always, every time we cut it, there's, I think of like five oh, more things I wanted to say, but that's okay. All right, well, you can check us out as always on our website, which is bookstashpodcast.com. Find us on social media. So it's bookstashcast or one word on Instagram and Twitter. And if you just search for The Bookstash on Facebook, you should find us there as well. And uh, until next time, keep reading, keep writing, and we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon.